Hello, my name is Jody Lee Mott, and welcome to Dream Garden, where we talk up the kids' books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts, such as writers, teachers, and librarians, about their own favorite children's books. Since we're starting a brand new year with the podcast, I thought it would make sense to feature a poem about New Year's Day. The one I'm going to read today is called Hooray, Hooray, It's New Year's Day. It was written by Ken Nesbitt. Uh, He's the author of several collections of children's poems, including the books My Hippo Has the Hiccups, Revenge of the Lunch Ladies, and Santa Got Stuck in the Chimney. He was also named Children's Poet Laureate by the Poetry Foundation in 2013. Hooray, hooray, it's New Year's Day by Ken Nesbitt. Hooray, hooray, it's New Year's Day, the day we start anew. So this year I've decided to become a kangaroo. Or maybe I will learn to fly, or how to walk through walls, or how to turn invisible, or to surf on waterfalls. I'll make myself elastic, and I'll teach myself to shrink. I'll turn into a liquid, and I'll pour me down the sink. I'll visit other planets, and meet aliens galore. I'll travel to the distant past, and ride a dinosaur. I've got so many wondrous plans, I'm starting right away. Yes, this will be the best year yet. Hooray, it's New Year's Day. My guest today is Roxanne Shu Feldman. Uh, she's a middle school librarian at the Dalton School in New York City. In addition, Roxanne has served on several book award committees over the years, such as the Boston Globe Horn Book Awards, Notable Books for Children, and the Newberries. You can find Roxanne's contributions for the blog Heavy Metals, that's M-E-D-A-L-S, at blogs.slj.com slash heavy metal. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Roxanne. Oh, it's really fun. Looking forward to talking. Now, I mentioned the the blog uh, you write on Heavy Metal, M-E-D-A-L. It's described in the subtitle as a mock Newberry blog. Can you explain what that means and what's the purpose of the blog? Um, Mock Newberry actually has been going on for a long, long time. Um, It's been uh, very much encouraged by um, ALSC, which is Association for um, Library Services to Children which is the body that um, administers the Newberry Award. They've always encouraged um, members of the committee or other people to um, simulate, basically, to, to host Mark Newberry with children and with other adults. I think they even have Mark Newberry kits that you can order and it kind of shows you how to conduct simulated Newberry committee process. So I didn't initiate the Mark Newberry heavy metal blog, School Library Journal. Other people did. Sharon did and Nina Lindsay did. I think Jonathan Hunt was one of the original heavy metal blogger for SLJ. This year they asked me to do it and I really, I enjoyed the blog itself in the past. So I felt very honored and I'm having a great time posting and talking about and arguing about books with people. Now, you've actually served on uh, award committees, like I've mentioned, the Newberries from time to time. I'm just wondering, what is that experience like to serve on a committee like the Newberries or some of the other committees? Newberry is intense and really fun. I tend to just focus on reading through the year. 
I try not to read a lot of reviews. I don't do a lot of discussion, either online or with other people. I just want to formulate my own opinions about all the books I read for the year. Usually, a Newberry Committee member will receive between maybe 400 and 500 books. Some, maybe some paperback, uh, some picture books, maybe some young adult titles, but mostly middle grade. What the publishers believe um, have a chance of winning Newberry. So that's a lot of books. And I'm a really slow reader, so I rely on other committee members to give me the suggestions and nominated titles and just read a lot through the year. Mm-hmm. And then the discussion, the actual discussion, you're, you're locked up in a room with 14 other people and you all have read all year long and you couldn't wait to discuss these books. And sometimes it was like, how could this book be nominated? It, it has no merits. Or you, you're so passionate about something and nobody else could see why the book is worthy of discussion. So it's very exciting. I really enjoy it. Uh, besides the book we're going to talk about today, are there any other books you've come across uh, lately that got your interest? I mean, this year, I think I can think of a few books that I really think are my top shelf, right? One is Strange the Dreamer by Lainey Taylor. It's a, a, a new series. I'm not quite sure whether it's going to be a trilogy or a, just a duology. She's the author for the Daughter of Smoke and Bone series. I'm a big science fiction fantasy reader, so I gravitate towards the fantastic. And she is not only great at um, world building, but her language, her sentence level writing is just so beautiful. So I love that. I absolutely love Real Friends by Shannon Hale. It's a pretty heart-wrenching memoir of a child in the in middle school years, kind of dealing with both sibling, family, emotional issues, and friendship dilemma at school. And I and I just find it's almost too brutal. I think of it as a brutally honest and very brave for an author to bear so much of her own childhood in that realistic way. Um, and definitely is one of my students' favorite books of the year as well. And recently I finished Wish Tree by um, Applegate, and I think it's outstanding. And, of course, the new Philip Pullman, um, La Belle Sauvage. Been waiting for it for a long, long, long time. So it was just so thrilling to read it. Now, the book you chose today as, as one of your favorites is called Jack and the Seven Deadly Giants uh, by Sam Swope. It was published in 2004 for, by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. And uh, for readers who might not be familiar with this uh, book, I know I, I hadn't heard of it uh, when you mentioned it, uh, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, what can you tell them about basically what it's about? Jack and the Seven Deadly Giants is kind of playing on uh, Jack the Giant Killer story. I think it has European origin, but it's actually an American folktale. And the seven deadly giants are actually kind of based on the seven deadly sins 
So it's about an orphan boy who basically no one loved him from his village. And there are some rumors about seven deadly giants around the um, area, around the kingdom. And people blamed him for being the bad seed and the curse that brings down the flight of the deadly giants. So he felt bad. He went and tried to basically conquer the giants. And in the meantime, he also had a strong wish to uh, maybe uh, to actually reunite with his, with his mother. And it's a short book. Let me see. It's a slim trim size, and it's only about, it's 99 pages long. And um, because I love reading aloud to my students, but I only see my fourth graders once a week. So a short book that I can read um, in a few installments is a perfect choice for me to kind of connect with my students via story and also because it's very episodic. So I can read one chapter or one giant encounter uh, per week. So it takes me about almost two months to share this story with all my students. And it's very humorous. Um, I think Sam Swope has a very kind of wicked sense of humor, which a lot of students really uh, appreciate. As you mentioned, this is a, you know, a book you read to uh, kids. Uh, what is it about it or certain books that make them especially good read-aloud book as opposed to other books which are maybe more suited to read independently? First of all, I can't do accents. So for me, if something that demands a very strong regional or um, national accent, if the writer writes in dialects, it's hard for me. But I, use, I tend to try to find books that somewhat lighthearted, humorous, but also we can have some discussion. I find this book is just right for all of the reasons. And also this book allows me to do, I don't do accents, but I love doing dramatic voices. So there are seven different giants, and they each have a different personality, and I try to create a different voice for each giant. So... For me, it's just really satisfying. My inner actress comes out. Now, you mentioned this is a, a takeoff of the fairy tale Jack uh, the Giant Killer. He's not strong. He doesn't have special powers. He doesn't have a special weapon. He uses his intelligence uh, to deal with each of the giants. And is that something you, you don't see enough of, maybe in books, of, of just characters who use... Uh, their intelligence and their wits to get by rather than some sort of special power? Uh, I actually think a lot of children's books actually favor intelligence and wit. You know, if you think about The Hobbit, right, from the longer, you know, classic, uh, The Hobbit is a tiny creature, tiny person who always big, you know, dragon. And I, I actually think a lot of authors played that up pretty much because I think they know children who read their books really appreciate intelligence and wit. So I actually find a lot of stories, you see the kids having uh, a way to outwit villains. So I don't know. 
um, maybe maybe if you read a lot of like kind of comic book uh, superheroes, it, it tend to be about power, right? About having a weapon or having having some sort of super strength. Or even Harry Potter is maybe more about the ability to cast spells. But I even think in Harry Potter, it's about how they figure out how to defeat somebody than using brute power. Does that make sense? Oh, yes, absolutely. Now, you've said that, uh, you know, the tone of this book is definitely humorous. Uh, you know, it's whimsical, uh, sort of in the mold of uh, Roald Dahl. If you want to talk about that a little bit, about the, the humor in the book. Yeah, there. Uh, some of it is slightly lowbrow, right? For example, if you had the, the terrible glutton who eats and eats and eats, and um, when he ate something that is really disagreeable, one of the things he did was, you know, let out a gigantic, may I say this word on your podcast? Oh, oh go right ahead. A gigantic fart, right? And then created a crater on the ground because he's so big and the fart was so powerful. And all the kids always, they roar on the floor laughing because it's, it's actually not that gratuitous because it's really natural for this particular creature to behave that way. So that's kind of the low-brow kind of humor. But there's also, you know, I think um, we, you and I had a little email exchange. Ogula the Great, right, who mm-hmm. is kind of um, personification of somebody who is very vain. And I believe Ogula is kind of play on the Spanish word for pride or vanity. That's why her name is Ogula. And that's just a really clever chapter about the tiny little giant who is only giant in her own mind. And there's nothing in that chapter that is grossing you out or being too uh, too weird. But the children really take to that particular chapter. Actually, usually every year after I finish the story, I'll have the children kind of discuss and vote or we poll uh, which giant they like the most or which giant that leaves the uh, most impression. And Orgula the Great tends to come out on top one, two, or three. For some reason, kids really gravitate to that, maybe because she's tiny and they kind of somehow relate to her. So I, I just enjoy it. And Swope definitely used a lot of sound effects as well and that allows me to do sound effects in the story. Um, and I think that delights the children a lot. Well, you said the children have their own, you know, with uh, Orgula uh, the Great, their own favorite giant. Do you have your own favorite, either just in terms of their characteristics or in reading about them, or their just particular story that you enjoy uh, yourself the most? I definitely enjoy the Wild Tickler. I know that there is one of the seven deadly sins that's very difficult to write for younger re- uh, readers, which is lust. You know, it's, it's, it's not easy to, to write. And I think the author did a very clever, make a really clever de- decision to make um, the two-headed giant that has a male and a female head, and they share a body, and their skill or their deadly power 
is tickling. And tickling in some ways could be seen as a fun thing to do, but in this particular case, the tickler can tickle you to death if you, even when you beg for mercy for them to stop. So it's kind of an unwanted physical contact. So I thought that was very clever for the author to, and the kids can understand because I think most kids have been tickled and most kids have experienced maybe somebody tickled them too much. And also it's just really funny and the creature, especially the one with the, the book has illustration and the, the creature just looks bizarre and interesting. We've talked about, you know, this is based on uh, that old uh, story, Jack and the Giant Killer. And you think of a lot of books. Uh, so many books go back to these old fairy tales and retell them in, uh, in different sort of ways. And, and what is it about these old stories that even now we keep going back to them for just to hear them again or for inspiration or to retell them in new ways? But still, we still have this need to go back to them again and again. It seems to me they are very archetypal. They are very bearable, right? They are very raw. They don't necessarily give you a lot of, a lot of descriptive details. They give you just the right amount for you to, I feel like you can connect directly to the characters and the situation. And a lot of fairy tales, traditional fairy tales, especially the ones that, you know, lasted for a long, long time, survived the test of time, are the ones that's really speaking to our, I don't want to say base, but basic raw emotional needs, you know, want to be loved, want to be respected, want to have self-validation. So I think those stories are universally true. And because they are so simple and bearable that for a creative person, they can always add details to it. One of my favorite things is to read retold fairy tales, you know, from Shen Hell's Goose Girl, which I think is superb. Um, there's another book called East. I don't know whether you know. It's by Edith Patu. I think her name is P-A-T-T-O-U. It's based on East of the Sun, West of the Moon, which is a Norse uh, folktale. And also, of course, Adam Gitwitz, the uh, tale Dark and Grim, the trilogy, or even somebody like Philip Pullman. I don't know whether you know he wrote a book called I Was a Rat, which mm, is, no. um, oh, it's fantastic. It's about one of Cinderella's rats after being turned into a uh, young kind of servant boy for the uh, coach never got turned back. So he was like wandering around, be a lost boy because he didn't know how to be a boy. He was a rat. And then he was kind of adopted by this kindly old couple and went through really interesting transformation from a rat to more or less a real boy. And so great. It's like kind of slightly a Pinocchio story. You know, when he was forced to go to school, he went to school, he loved the pencil and he ate the pencil because he's a rat. So that kind of story. Or you have, I don't know whether you know a book called Grim Legacy about the objects from Grim Brothers folktale and all the magical objects were stored 
in a special department at the New York Public Library in New York City, and a group of young children had to protect them from being stolen. And it's just so much fun. Um, kids love it. I just wondering, are there any particular passages from uh, Jack and the Seven Deadly Giants that uh, stand out for you that you'd like to share? So one of the things, I, like I said, I really love reading this book aloud because it allows me to do crazy sound effects and, and ways of talking. I just love being able to perform, I guess. So one of the, one of the giants is the terrible glutton and... Let me look at Jack. I think it's page 25. Jack stopped his face till he got sick and burped, the smell of which was carried downwind to a giant. It was not a lucky chance. Sniff, sniff, sniff. This was a terrible glutton, and he was just a monstrous beast that only lived to eat and eat and eat. Everywhere he went, the glutton gobbled anything he came across and never even stopped to cook it. He swallowed birds and bears and kitty cats down life. He ate up all the farmer's crops and all the soil to boot. Whatever he could grab, the glutton didn't care. He'd even rip a tree from out the ground and swallow it down. Hole, roar, glubber, flubber, snore, grub, grub. That was one passage. <laughs> so I loved reading the Glotten chapter. That was one. Is there another you'd like to share? Yeah, sure. Um, which one um, do you do? You have a specific one that you like? To me, uh, Orgula the Great was just the most interesting. Just because uh, she was somebody who had a story, and yet uh, uh, Jack never actually meets her, and so she has this own this little drama that takes place uh, somewhat invisibly. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, uh, which I thought was just a, a neat, neat way to tell the story. Okay, yeah. sure. So this is after she was admiring herself and believing that she was the greatest giant on the highest mountain closest to the god, right? But Orgula heard a noise. Footsteps. She had a visitor. Her very first. Orgula rushed to see who it might be. Oh my! Orgula gasped, unable to believe her eyes. She wondered, was she dreaming? Pinched herself and looked again. But sure enough, she had seen right. A god was coming up to pay her his respect. He had to be a god, for nothing else could be so huge that next to him, Orgula the Great was just as small as any bug. The only strange thing that Orgula couldn't understand was why the god was sitting backwards on a cow. Proud Orgula, foolish thing. Because she'd spent her life up on that mountain, she'd never seen the world and never even seen another giant. And so it was. Orgula didn't know she was a giant only in her mind. Or that the god she thought she saw was just a boy, a boy named Jack. 
Ogula Waska come closer, looming high, so high that he was like a mountain. Welcome, cried Ogula in a regal voice. And when the god seemed not to hear, she hollered, "Yoo-hoo, God, I'm here!" But still, the god did not look down. And as the cow trudged on, Ogula feared she'd miss her chance. She took a running leap. She grabbed hold of the cow's tail. She hoisted herself up on its back. She waved and shouted, "Hey, God, down here! It's me, Ogula the Great!" Jack didn't hear the tiny voice. He was too busy gazing at the mountains spread beneath him. How high up he was! No one anywhere in all the world was higher. Yes, he done it. Climbed the highest mountain. I was a couple pages. Now I was thinking, I, I although I, although I've had a chance to read this book, uh, hearing you read it, I realize I probably need to go back and reread it again out loud. It is so great as a read aloud. That's why I've read it ever since I think it's published, or a few years after it's published. I've been reading it for maybe ten years, and I never get tired of it. I tend to get tired of things quickly, but This one I can just do it every year. Another thing that is so clever, also in the book, is Jack's behavior in each chapter kind of reflects the one of the deadly sins. When he meets sloth, he's very being very lazy. When he meets glutton, he is some he is like eating a lot. When he meets uh, average, which is um, greed, and She was. He was being greedy. So all the behavior matches the giant's own behavior.、Um, and one of the things I love discussing this with my students first is Jack is not a bad kid, and I ask him to show me evidence from the book. You know, because in the、uh, prologue you see him being very kind to、uh, old man on the road. That's how he got his. Wishing being, he also leaves the village so other people can be saved. And we also talk about each of the seven deadly sins, which is not in any religious context. I ask the students, why was somebody being too lazy not good for a community, or why is somebody too vain not good as a community member? So we use this book to talk about community building as well. So I just find it a, a very rich. Well, Roxanne,、uh, thank you so much for introducing this book to me and taking the time、uh, to talk to me about it today. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I really enjoy talking to you, and hopefully, some other people can also enjoy reading this book and reading aloud and sharing with students or, or children.、Um, it is out of print, unfortunately. But it's.、Uh, I know. I, I found my copy at the library. So it yeah, is still you can find it in the library.、There. I know. I bought、uh, extra copies from used book vendors.、Um, it's it's floating out there, and this is a book that I really want FSG to、um, maybe reissue in paperback. It will be it will be lovely to have it again. If enough people ask for it, maybe they'll start to issue another reprint. Yeah, I would love to see that. Well, thank you again for doing this. Oh, thank you! I really enjoy it. 
You can find Roxanne's contributions for the blog Heavy Metal at blogs.slj.com slash heavy metal. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music titled All Together is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art is provided by Creative Pro 180, courtesy of Fiverr, which can be found at www.fiverr.com. You can visit me at jleemott.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. Until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Oops.